Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a warm welcome on this July day to you, to St. George's Church. It's great to be with you. Continue to pray uh, for our rector, Jacob, as he is enjoying some vacation time, much needed vacation time with his family. So I've got to say from the outset that Stranger Things 4 was not at all what I was expecting. I don't know what you were looking for, but that first episode had me going, what? Like, I did not see this coming. In fact, it was so far out of the blue that one of our kids dropped out after the first episode. Like, nope, not having any of this. And my wife Kimberly and I actually wondered, like, are we going to give this season a shot? And so we watched one more episode and we're like, okay, and then we watched another one. It was really, it's really remarkable television, to be sure. What happens in this fourth season, and I'm not, no spoilers here, but there are so many turns I did not see coming, and it opened up things I did not even know were possible. My expectations at the outset had not aligned with what would come in season four. So I've actually gone back and I've started watching it all over again. So I'm, I'm through season one and back in season two. And as I watch again, I'm noticing these clues that all fit in with what's happening three seasons later, but I did not recognize as clues back then. I bring this up because today's gospel might actually spark a similar response in you. The expectations that we have about what it means to follow Jesus might not actually align with our experience of what happens next. But I think once you look back, you'll be able to see that all the pieces were actually there. Our gospel for today sets before us one of Jesus' followers, Martha. We can see ways in which Jesus worked to correct her own expectations, or maybe it'd be better to say to augment her expectations of what it meant to be his follower. The place I want to start is with something very subtle in the text, and and we've just heard it read, MJ read it, it's there in your program if you want to look there. But in this gospel passage in St. Luke, there's this subtle thing I want you to notice. Obviously, Jesus is a main character in this story, but did you notice how the evangelist writes about Jesus, describes Jesus, speaks of Jesus? He had all kind of vocabulary at his discretion. He could have referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, but, or interchanged a bunch of them. Instead, he chooses one and only one designation for Jesus in this passage. He always, in this text, calls him Lord. What would your expectations be if you look at this Jesus and decide to call him Lord? Well, it might look a lot like Martha. The passage starts with Jesus and his whole entourage of disciples, at least the twelve, as they were on their way to Jerusalem. Now, if you have a really good memory, a few weeks ago, We were reading through the Gospel of Luke on these Sundays together, and a few weeks ago at the end of chapter 9, there's a story about Jesus being in the north 
in Galilee and saying, I need to go to Jerusalem. It was time for him, it was time for him to face uh, the end of his earthly ministry in Jerusalem. And so he sends, he, he starts traveling and he sends disciples ahead of the way to prepare his way heading back to Jerusalem. So now he is in Bethany, this village outside of Jerusalem. And here is Martha learning that Jesus is coming, and she goes out to welcome him. Now, friends, don't skip over this detail too quickly. Back in chapter 9, when Jesus sent emissaries to a Samaritan village to find someone who would welcome him, they could not find anyone. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived, they said, no one here wants to welcome you, Jesus. In fact, James and John's response was, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire on these Samaritans? That's another sermon for another day. The answer was no, in case you don't remember that story. But in this case, Martha exemplifies a faith-filled, faithful response of a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is coming with all of his disciples. Well, I'm going to go out to greet him. And then her welcome turns into hospitality. She is laboring away, serving. Because what do you do for a Lord? What do you do for a master? That's what Lord means. You take care of whatever they need. They're the master, you're the servant, and that's her expectation. When she commits to following this Jesus as her Lord, for her, lordship means service. And so she acts. Now, friends, there is truth to that. And we're going to actually come back to this point later in this message. But there's also a danger in this path. And for some, perhaps some of you have walked that path and you've experienced this danger. The danger of this path that says lordship means service starts with the fact that there is no end to the need. That's why Martha is doing all of this serving. Twelve disciples, and Jesus, and Mary, and herself, it's at least 15 people she's serving. What would this look like for you? Well, let's say your particular realm of service for the Lord Jesus is to feed the hungry. You sense a call to this. Friends, there's always more hungry mouths to feed. Or let's say that your path of following Jesus is evangelism, sharing the good news with people. Well, there's no shortage of people who need to hear the good news about Jesus. Or perhaps your path of service, your obedience to the lordship of Jesus, is to advocate on behalf of the aging or the disabled in our city, the sometimes invisibly marginalized people in our community. Sadly, there is always more work to do. Friends, there's always more work to do. And that's part of the danger of this path. Because not only is there no end to this need, but you often walk that path of service alone. That's what Martha says about Mary. She's left me to do this by myself. Where are the other followers of Jesus? 
Don't they care about the, the poor, the hungry, the disabled, the aging, the lost? There's always greater need than you are able to meet. And a lot of times, one might feel that they're going it alone. Or maybe, in fact, you are. And when there's more need than you can meet, and when you feel like you're going it alone, the result is resentment. Resentment from Martha to Mary. You left me all by myself, and there was more work to do. But also, friends, resentment to the Lord himself. Did you catch what she says to Jesus? Lord, don't you care? Do you see the way our hearts reason? I've committed myself to follow you as my Lord. Your call in my life has led me to this kind of service. I'm out here doing this service, doing many things for you because of your call in my life, and I'm doing it all by myself. No one is helping me. Don't you care? See, friends, this is the real danger of this path. If you equate discipleship, if you equate following Jesus or, or the way of Jesus, if you equate this with service and service alone, that path will lead you to a place where you will, in fact, believe that Jesus is great. I mean, after all, we still call him Lord. But you will doubt whether Jesus is good. Don't you care? And what Jesus is doing here is he is expanding Martha's field of vision. He's saying, as it were, following me is more than you expect. I left clues along the way, and if you look back, you'll see them. Yes, there's an aspect of service. Advocating on behalf of the marginalized, evangelism, serving the poor, those are all good things, but there's more to it than that. And beautifully, in this text, Jesus actually shows it before he says it. He shows it in his disposition. He comes into the house, and he sits down, and Mary sits down with him. Now remember, get the picture in your mind as accurately as we can. This is not our contemporary American living rooms where Jesus is in, you know, a big comfy chair and everyone is sitting on the floor. Everyone's on the floor. Everyone's on the floor. They're seated, and Jesus welcomes the companionship of Mary. And for that matter, of the other disciples as well. Do you see, friends, how it starts with his disposition? His disposition invites conversation. His disposition invites fellowship with him. Which means that lordship includes not merely doing things for the Lord, Lordship includes simply being with the Lord. Now that is counterintuitive. You don't think of a master-servant relationship in this way. That's not how it usually goes. But Jesus says, in my Lordship, this is the way it goes. 
My lordship means conversation. But it goes beyond this. It goes, it goes beyond Jesus' welcoming disposition, which itself is counterintuitive. It pushes to something that is actually countercultural. What is Mary doing here? Jesus is recognized as a rabbi, and to sit at someone's feet does not mean literally to put someone on a pedestal and grovel before them, right? To sit at a rabbi's feet is an expression meaning, I am your learner, you are my rabbi. That's why this expression is used of St. Paul with Gamaliel. He sat at Gamaliel's feet. He was his learner. Now, in this first century world, that was not a place for a woman. That was a place for men. In that world, the woman's place was on the other side of the house. Which is why, and this is what really caught my attention as I was meditating on this passage this week. When Martha comes in and says, she has left me alone, I got to thinking, why didn't she ask Matthew or Thomas or one of the Johns or Jameses to come help her? Her own expectations had been formed by culture. Mary's the one who's out of place, Jesus. Send her to help me so I'm not alone. Still 15 people to serve. And now there'll be two instead of one. To be at the feet of the rabbi, furthermore, in this context, is to say, I want to be a rabbi too. I want to follow in your steps. I want to learn from you so that I might share and be your disciple. This is what Mary is saying by her actions. And what does Jesus do? He welcomes her. He accepts her. That's why I say this is countercultural. Yet she chose to be in this place because she recognized that his lordship meant something different than just serving, but that his lordship actually opened up an opportunity that her culture, and even specifically her religious culture, would not have allowed for. You see, lordship means this too. Jesus, as Lord, has a welcoming disposition. He loves to converse with his people, to fellowship with us, so that we're not just doing things for him, but we're actually enjoying being with him. But friends, it moves into a countercultural space. Contrary to the religious culture, contrary to secular culture, because he is Lord over all of it. My goodness, how can a rabbi like this break cultural norms like that? On what grounds can he do this? Friends, it's on the basis of what he's about to do in Jerusalem. His whole life was aimed toward what's going to happen in that city when he would deliver us from the curse that has been placed on us, when he would deliver the human race that has set 
men against women and women against men, that has set races and nations and ethnicities against one another, that has oppressed the poor and set the disabled to the margins. Friends, this was the promise at the very beginning when our first parents fell into sin. God said, I will send someone to reverse this curse and restore you as my people. And the one who would reverse the curse is Jesus our Lord. And he did it through his work on the cross. For Jesus lived the life that we have each failed to live. And then he died the death that we each should have died. But then on the third day, he rose from the dead so that he might give us new life, so that he might heal our brokenness, and so that he might usher in the remaking of all things. Friends, that's what we celebrate at this table. The restoration of the human race itself in Jesus, that we may be one, we will pray. The restoration of the human race uniting us with himself in this mystical communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. I'm reading this fantastic and profound work of theology by the Egyptian theologian Khaled Anatolios. He's a professor at Notre Dame. And this week I came across this sentence that is so powerful and so profound. Anatolios writes, just as the Spirit is the eternal bond of love between the Father and the Son, so Christ's blood forges a bond between God and the world, whereby the mutual love of the Father and the Son is extended in the Spirit to us. To the world. See, friends, this is what his lordship, uh, this is why his lordship, though it involves service, goes far beyond that. Yes, it involves your doing things for him, but the gospel, the good news about Jesus is not that you have all this stuff to do for him. The good news about Jesus is that Jesus has done everything for you to make you one with himself, to make you one with God Almighty, to make you one with one another. You are redeemed. You are whole. You are beloved. So what it means to follow this Lord might be more than you ever imagined when you started out on this journey. In particular, from this passage, it means two things. And I close with these. One, his lordship means friendship. I like to pray little sentence prayers during the day when I find my heart is racing, I'm filled with doubt or anxiety or worry, or if I just feel cold and distant and hardened against people. I'm learning to stop, breathe, and pray a sentence prayer, something on the breath in and something on the breath out. And one I've just started praying in the last few weeks is this. Jesus loves me. Jesus likes me. He likes you. He likes to be around you. His lordship means friendship. And secondly, his lordship means freedom. Counterintuitive friendship, countercultural freedom. 
Jesus likes me. Jesus liberates me. Friends, you are free from the cultural norms. The cultural shackles put on you by society at large or even by the religious culture. You're free to sit at his feet, to listen to your Lord, and to let the Spirit direct your life. Not what culture would say, but what the Lord would say. And so, yes, he might say, friend, continue serving the poor. Keep sharing the message about me. Go on advocating for the disabled. That is your service. My friends, Jesus says to you, but go in my love. Go with my love. Because I am great. And I am good. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.